he said, man, I just finished my studio out here in L.A. You should, you should come record. I'm like, yeah, because, I, you know, again, I, knew, I liked the way he recorded his records, and the band always sounded cool. I said, well, look, let's do this like a, you know, a, a, just an outside project for me. You produce it. You pick the players. I'll just come out with my guitar and have some amps sent to your studio, and we'll just put these tunes together. And it happened in about two and a half days. That's Andy Timmons talking about his brand new album, Electric Truth. I'm Jamie Green, and this is Trading Force. I'm going to Kansas City. everyone welcome back to another edition of trading force i'm your host jamie green and this is episode 102 hey do you remember what you got into way back in high school i mean besides obviously the high school romance and drama were you a jock were you a car geek did you get into like poetry or books well not surprisingly considering i have a podcast about music i got way into music and I'm a Gen Xer, so the only way that you could actually plug into the music scene was MTV, which we watched hours of, and magazines. And I subscribed to the magazine Guitar World to get all the latest updates on, on my dudes, on my bros, on these cool, cool guitar players. Lincoln, Nebraska was a long way from Los Angeles and New York. Yes, in a geographic sense, but definitely also in a cultural sense. I can remember when the guitar world would arrive with articles and even more exciting to me, actual transcriptions to their playing. I would try and mostly fail to learn their parts at first, but I kept at it. I kept working at it. I did get better. I improved. It was really helpful. So what started out with my fascination with Stevie Ray Vaughan and Eddie Van Halen expanded to other guitar players, Nuno Betancourt, Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, and definitely today's guest, Andy Timmons. Andy first appeared on my radar as a member of Danger Danger. Yes, he had the chops, the look, and definitely the hair. I mean, go look at the video. I'll put it in the show notes. But as I dug a little deeper, I found out that Andy was a school musician. He actually went to the University of Miami to study music, the same school that produced jazz greats Jocko Pastorius and Kansas City's own Pat Metheny. Andy has an enormous toolbox for his playing, and as time passed, I loved hearing what he was up to. The Andy Timmons Band, the Pond Kings, and all the great studio work he's done. And as a funny sidebar, my wife was most excited to hear that Andy had been Olivia Newton-John's musical director for several tours. My better half is definitely not a guitar nerd. During my conversation with Andy Allidort last week, he just casually mentioned that Andy Timmons had interviewed him for his new album for Guitar World. And I may have stated almost instantly that I'd love to talk to Andy Timmons and have him on the podcast. To his credit, Alidord is a stand-up guy, so just a few days later, I got an email in my inbox from the Andy Timmons saying he'd love to come on. So the kid from Lincoln, who used to read all about Andy Timmons decades ago, now got to talk to Andy Timmons for over an hour. Life's funny, man. What a treat. So enough of my blathering. Let's get started. Here's my conversation with Andy Timmons. Such a thrill for me. I've known about you for a very long time. I'm one of those nerds that was reading Guitar World in the '80s. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but you got this new album coming out, Andy. Yeah. And I'm really excited to talk to you about it. April 1st is when this is hitting the road. So, <laughs> for folks that give me the elevator speed, how do you describe this album in like 30 seconds or less? So, would- I mean, it depends on how 
um, knowledgeable folks may or may not be about what I've done before this. But I would say it's a little, it's a slight departure in that it's a bit of a side project. It's not the Andy Timmons band, um, which is normally a power trio situation for me. Um, I became friends initially telephonically with uh, the great Josh Smith. Uh, great, uh, you know, people would consider him kind of in the blues world, but he's, you know, incredibly well-rounded, has uh, some jazz and some Danny Gatton in him, and just a, just a great cat. And I was seeing seeing his playing on YouTube um, quite a bit and just, just really loved his playing and always dug his band. And, and he was doing some stuff for True Fire, who's another a company that I work with occasionally to do instructional videos. Anyway, so I, just, I got his number, reached out to him, and just said, man, love your playing, just want to say hey, and, you know, it's always nice to just give somebody some love, you know, and even if they don't know you. But, you know, we, we became friends, and he said, man, I just finished my studio out here in L.A., you should, you should come record. I'm like, yeah, because, you know, again, I, knew, I liked the way he recorded his records, and the band always sounded cool. I said, well, look, let's do this like a, you know, a, a, just an outside project for me. You produce it, you pick the players, I'll just come out with my guitar and have some amps, you know, uh, sent to your studio and we'll just we'll just put these tunes together and it happened in about two and a half days but this was you know we met in 2019 like i said over the phone and then i got out there uh, just before nam in 2020 so january 2020 so the idea was you know let's get as much of it live as we can and then whatever we don't get done i'll fly back out in march then of course you know yeah. uh nature and things <laughs> or yeah. whatever whatever had other ideas mm -hmm. and uh, nobody went anywhere so i I eventually kind of finished the tracks here at my own home studio, and he mixed though with his really great uh, engineer named Alan Hertz. Um, so um, this is not quite the thirty-second uh, elevator speech, unless we're you know slowly going to the top of the Empire State Building. Yeah. But it's you know what I what I love about the record is that I knew by working with another guitar player, you know, functioning as a producer, which is different for me. It's usually me or one of my band members or engineer co-producing with me. So having another guitar player produce, you know, might bring in some different energy, different ideas. And then with a different band, you're going you're gonna to play differently with different musicians. But also the, the material that I was writing and that Josh wrote was, you know, more funky and bluesy kind of stuff. So just outside of my normal, not that I don't play this music or love this music, it just isn't what I ha have been normally putting out. So it's got a little different flavor to it, and uh, the, the the first track on the record, EWF, which is very much one of the funkier tracks on the record, is a thinly veiled uh, reference to Earth, Wind, and Fire, and my my uh, my love of Al McKay, the oh, great yeah. guitar player for yeah. Earth, Wind, and Fire. So it's got that shining star kind of vibe to it, um, and that's that that track is completely live. We you know everybody just played on the floor together, and it just went somewhere. And luckily, you know, I didn't mess up too bad, so we kept my guitar part the way it was. Um, and so that's, that's the kind of thing that, that it's, it's so much fun for me again, just to have that exposure to some great players that I hadn't played with, but I, I knew that I would, you know, resonate with and fit in with, that was my, my goal anyway, my, my hope, because they all, you know, they're amazing players, Lamar Carter on drums, uh, Travis Carlton on bass and Daron Johnson on, uh, on keyboards and just, you know, they've all played with, you know, amazing, brilliant players. So. Uh, you know, I was on I was on my best behavior and tried to play to the top of my abilities, which, which I always do. But when you're in the room, you know, with players like that, and then Josh Smith's on the other side of the glass, you know, it's time to to try to do, to do very well. But it's a good energy. It's a, that's I love having that kind of. I don't want to call it a pressure, but that because that's got a negative uh, meaning attached to it. But it's it's a good position to be in to you know push yourself and and feel that energy. And so I think that led to some of the. Some of the moments that I really like on the record.
No, it's great. You know, it's mm-hmm. interesting. It's almost like how jazz albums used to be. Yeah. Right. Well, exactly that. Or yeah. the, even mm-hmm. even the work even the work I did with Simon Phillips for his Protocol records. He he's coming from a jazz and seventies, uh, you know, ethic where as much as we can get live right now, let's do it. Let's not like oh, let's get let's get drum parts this week and then we'll come back. No, 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 no. You know, learn the tune like you know a couple of days before, and this is the take. You know, and that's and there's a beauty to that. And I've done I've done records like that, but I've also done records where I take you know weeks trying to get a guitar sound, and you know. It's, and they're, I think they're, very, they're both very valid means of working, but I like the immediacy of getting things, you know, with the musicians in the room. There can be a real beauty to that and stuff that just wouldn't happen in any other way. So, No, I think music, the greatest thing about it is the collaboration, correct? Yeah, that's, oh, that's absolutely. That's fun for you. No, no doubt. And again, I, you know, I, I'm fond of the records that sometimes I get sent tracks. Like there was a, a record I did with the Bissonette brothers, Greg and Matt. Uh, that was very much a, hey, I'll send you the tracks and do it in your home studio. And it, it I got to say, it sounds like we're playing live together just because, you know, we were feeling things the same way. But it, it wouldn't have, it, you know, it would have been a much different thing if we were in the room together. But if your antenna's up, you know, as the players that I love to play with, uh, you know, it, if I get a track and it's really happening, I'm responding in real time to what I'm feeling, which is similar, if not the same thing to, you know, being in a room with people. It just depends on your level of listening and ability to react, you know, in the moment. That's, that's, that's the key. And that's the players that I love to, to be in a room with or even get tracks from. It's, there's nothing like that. Absolutely. Well, I've got to yeah. listen to it a few times because it was sent oh, to me and, and really dug it. And I think oh, joyful you. is one of the things I would, <laughs> I mean, even like the ballads. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so many great I, tunes on there. Well, thank you. I, the balance for me are always kind of the, the safe place to, to emote and put some feeling in, especially the writing, you know, um, grace is meant to be pretty uplifting. That's, that's a, that stems from a conversation I had. I met Billy Cox, a great bassist from the band of gypsies and Jimi Hendrix experience and his wife, Brenda, cause they were one of the touring Hendrix experience, you know, mm. uh, music cavalcade of of great guitar stars and but there was billy cox you know at the merch table before the gig so i i went over to uh to say hello and uh just just chat as you might want to do with one of your musical heroes and we really hit it off great and but also equally i would say i probably even spent more time talking to his wife brenda who's there kind of handling business you know um but we just we we really hit it off great, and at the end of the conversation, I, you know, it, it, had come, it had come up that she she and Billy had been married over fifty years. Wow! And so now that my marriage is on its twenty fifth year, I always like asking people that have stayed together, like, not that you're going to get an answer, but you know, what's the secret? Just to get a response to, you know, I remember asking my my wife's grandmother about you know before she passed, which was not long after we got together and got married, but. She says, well, I let him do what he wants. <laughs> so said, there's one, there's one uh, thing. So then I'm, I asked Brenda, Billy's wife, and she goes, I said, what's the secret? She says, grace. Ah. And I knew what she meant, you know, in that we, nobody's perfect and we have to have forgiveness in our heart, mm-hmm. you know, at all times, right? And, 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 a, and a great, you know, couple, you know, can, can get through things, right? And so I went home that night inspired by all the Hendrix and having met Billy and Brenda and wrote Grace right then. And it's, it's been, you know, this was the tune that I had around for a while. It never made it on an Andy Timmons band record. But I thought this is going to be great for 
somebody on B3 and Lamar and, and Travis. I knew it would be a good tune for these guys to play. And uh, even before the record came out, when we finished the track and it was mixed, I sent it to, to Brenda and Billy, and they really loved it, and they received it with the spirit that it was intended, just a, you know, a, a thankful... Uh, you know, memento of having met and their story and their and their perseverance and and grace. You know, so so that one's meant to be joyful. Now, when words fail and uh, one last time are a bit more mournful in their own way, though. When words fail, can be I can see the joy in it because it's a good kind of waltzy, jazzy swing mm-hmm. kind of thing. But it's it's it much very much addresses what I love about um, instrumental music in that I think that. You know the note well played in the hands of great musicians can can dig a bit deeper than, you know, the written word or the spoken the spoken language. Um, you know where there's a specific meaning that might be being communicated. Not always. Somebody could be singing some Dylan esque lyrics, and it's up to the listener to figure out what the hell does that mean. But with the music, you know, there's less there's even less tethered to the the note and to the the sound and the music at the time. That I think uh, you know. It's always been there for me, you know. It's those moments that have spoken to me, regardless of lyrical content. But the right note at the right time over a particular chord, you know, progression. Like Brian Wilson is so masterful at having done with his ballads, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of you know speaks to and words oh, very often fail either either being misinterpreted even even just in a conversation. You know what I mean? Like somebody says the wrong thing or wasn't intended a certain way, but with their tone and their you know. So it's kind of a double or multiple entendre in that way that, uh, yeah, there's always that music and there's, there's always that, that deeper level that, you know, especially in my journey as, as a player, I'm just continually trying to dig deeper to figure out how to really get the music that's in my heart and soul out through the instrument. Um, and I think we're, you know, I'd always talk about scratching the surface, you know, uh, Jeff Beck has been setting the bar in the last 20 years. That's for darn sure with his level of expression and Pat Metheny to a, to a degree. Um, but I, 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 of course, listen to a lot of other uh, instrumentalists and lots of uh, variety of music. But uh, yeah, if there's if there's some joy in there, I'm I'm happy because I even in darkest times I'm optimistic. I know I'm 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 hopeful. You know what I mean? Even in today's current landscape of everything going on and that's I'm, I'm blending a lot of things together i, I recognize how i'm just kind of rambling no, with that's you a bit. fine but that's there, fine. you know the electric truth title is also kind of speaking to that that was kind of the idea where you know as as the noise level increases depending on your uh attention span with you know news or social media etc you know there's just so much uh outrage and and uh but misinformation and disinformation and just kind of made me over time especially the last six years just really value what we have as musicians but also just music in general and what it what it means to people what it means to me you know uh it was always brian wilson spoke to it very directly in 1963 within my room Mm -hmm. you know he had a lot of heavy stuff going on in his life his father was physically and emotionally abusive and but he had his music and listen to the lyrics of that song and it's deep, man. It's really deep. And I relate to that because that was my room. You know, I went to my room when I was a kid and my folks split early and it wasn't, I didn't have any really specific hardships, but but the music was there for me. I was kind of a shy kid. So it, for me, it was Beatles, you know, Beach Boys and Brian Wilson. The level of that genius finally got to me in the 90s. But uh, 
you know, the music was always there. And, and that's what, how I feel even more so today with the, all that noise going on and what music can mean just as a place to go to get, just to tune everything else out. And if you look at the record cover, you see me standing there just with my guitar and everything else, the world behind me is just kind of blurred. It's like, as long as I got this guitar, you know, I've got some place to go where I can just, not that I don't want to pay attention. It's, it's important that we do our best to, you know, know on some level what's happening in the world. But, you know, I love that we have a place to go to tune that out. And no matter, I, and I know that you know, people are very divided these days, but I know if I'm in a room one-on-one -on -one with somebody, subtracting, you know, subtracting all that, extracting that, I know that we're going to have, we can have a beautiful experience just out of empathy and out of uh, respect for other living creatures, right? Mm -hmm. Not to get too deep here, but... Um, no, I you know, think music yeah. is the most Zen thing on the planet, Andy. I, I think... Thank you. I, yeah. Because you're not worried about the bills. You're not thinking about what you did yesterday. You <laughs> are right. totally focused. And it's also, for me at least, when mm. I pick up a guitar and play, it's also relaxing at the same time. It's intense, yes. but it's also relaxing. I, 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 I couldn't agree more. And I've seen it time, time after time traveling. I've been so fortunate with what I've, you know, have had the opportunity to do for my, my, my life and my, my living is being able to travel around the world. And even when people don't speak the same language, one of my favorite examples of this, the first time I went to Japan was 1990 with, when I was in danger, danger. And I, uh, we had, we were staying in the Rapungi area, which is you know, where so many bands would stay at the Rapungi Prince Hotel. And there was a lot of touristy stuff around there. There was a hard rock cafe and then these really, uh, you know, nice clubs and stuff. But there was a Beatles club called The Cavern, which eventually turned into Abbey Road. But it, when it was The Cavern, it was the band called The Par Parrots playing. And I went to see them and they're so great. They were singing, you know, all, the, all these Beatles tunes and they were playing just perfectly. And I'm a Beatles nut. And I was like, oh my God, these guys are great. But it was clear they didn't speak English you know, so there was, you know, she rubs you and there was some, some funny, right. you know, Japanese isms, but man, the heart and the soul and the authenticity was completely there. And I guess that, that somebody introduced me on a break and, oh yeah, you know, sit in, they want me to sit in. So again, we couldn't have a conversation, but I could go help. Yeah. One, two, three, four. <laughs> I need somebody. So right. over, over the years, every time I went back to Japan, I mean, this is, over 20 times, I sat in with that band every time that I went to Japan. That's really cool. And so, I, but again, it's, it's, you know, anywhere you go, there's, there's, the music can always bring us together, you know. And so, anyway, I'm thankful for that and uh, now more than ever, for sure. No, that, that, I think that's absolutely true. And <laughs> uh, your episode 103. Uh, wow, the, man. The best thing I can say is I don't know anybody's politics Great. In any of these episodes. And it doesn't matter, does no, it? No, it doesn't. I, mean, I don't care. I just, it's so nice to talk about amen. things that we can get along about because there's so I, much. I know, I know. And as soon as, as soon as you offer some opinion in, in one way or the other, man, it's just going to bring so much, again, uh, outrage and negative stuff that that's, it's best to avoid unless, you know, uh, I don't even know when the right time is, but it's no, like, let's just anymore. treat each other with respect and kindness as best we can and get, we're in this together, man, and we are the same. Let's, uh, let's make yeah. the best of this and try to help everybody that we can, you know, absolutely. if you're so the, in the position to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the album release is uh, parties, April 15th. Uh, yeah. The Guitar Sanctuary. You've got this all up on your website. I will put the link in the show notes so people can do So even if you're not McKinney, yeah. you can, you can, 
pay a few shekels and watch it online too. So tell me about how excited you are about this. Well, Let's that's it's, well, I'm scared to death and excited. So it won't be the band that I recorded the record with. Those guys are all busy out in LA and doing their thing. But um, and it's going to be it's going to be different than the Andy Timmons band, which has uh, been Mike Dane on bass with me since 1988. My brother um, and uh, Rob Sharing on drums. We just played the Kessler Theater, a beautiful old theater down in Oak Cliff, South mm -hmm. Dallas. And uh, so this is a, a bunch of players that are just great session guys that I work with uh, over the years here in Dallas. It'll be Sean McCurley on drums, Braylon Lacey, killer bass player, um, uh, Bobby Sparks you know, on B3, Tim Gilpin on uh, other keyboards, Michael Medina, who's a longtime friend of mine. I play with him in a band called the Pond Kings back in the 90s here in Dallas, oh, yeah, a, yeah. a blues rock band. Yep. He's going to be playing percussion, a little bit of guitar. And then the singer that's on the record, Corey Pertil, there's, there's two songs out of the nine that have vocals on them. And uh, he's a guy that I met through a, a fellow musician here in Dallas. It's a great, soulful voice. No, he's got so a great we're, voice. We're going to do the whole record. But then I've also gigged with these guys. At, I called the band Electric Truth at one point. We did two gigs. But it was kind of an excuse to do 70s uh, rock soul and r&b tunes so there's going to be some some covers at the end that are pretty pretty surprising that are just fun tunes to do like the last time we did uh do you feel like we do i got a talk box out did some frampton we did love's theme by barry by barry white one That's of my great. favorite melodies of all time uh you know just some different things a little off the beaten path that i don't get to do with my trio but this band will be incredible to play yeah. i can't even imagine how much <laughs> you've missed being able to do this right i mean we all got set on the yeah. sidelines for a long time. So this has got to be so much fun for you. It is. And so I realized, though, that I'd lost a particular chop, so to speak. Um, so now I was playing the whole time. I did 150 stage gigs over the pandemic. I got very adept at lighting and video and, yeah. and sound. And early on, you know, saw some friends of mine doing these live stream gigs. And I mean, I, that's, you know, of course, we all lost all our gigs and stuff. So I got to learn how to do that. So... I stayed, I stayed busier than I usually do, to be honest. Um, not that I'm saying the pandemic was good for me, but I found a way to keep busy, and I was very fortunate to be able to do it because not everybody had that, that vehicle. But when we did this gig at the Kessler a couple of weeks ago, it was. It was, it was so beautiful because when I'm doing the live stream gigs, I'm looking at this camera, and I'm looking at myself in the video to make sure I'm you know, still on camera or whatever. And I'm reading comments and people are typing applause in all caps. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was like it's like you get done playing. And it, what I would play sitting here or standing here is no different than the energy I would put in. I'm going to put everything into it because this is, this is all we have this moment, right? But we got to the gig and, uh, and I, was, I, was, I was very much feeling like, oh my God, look at those faces. This is incredible. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's having a good time. I made more mistakes that night than, than usual. I always make mistakes. But it was also one of the best feeling gigs that I ever did because I didn't really care so much. It's like because I was so excited and sad because I love making, you know, con eye contact with my band and the crowd. It's I, this is such an inclusive thing that I'm, I'm we're trying to create that I just don't want to stand there and be, you know, kind of just mm -hmm. me, 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 me. And, uh, you know, you, you want to play to the best of your ability and it's important to focus on the instrument. But. I love having a level of uh, a freedom that I don't always have to focus on that. That's going to happen, you know, but if I can also put a vibe with every, you know, it's, it's such a special way of communicating. Um, I saw, I, just a little side note, I, um, I went to see my friend, are you familiar with a guitar player named Adam Levy? Yeah. 
He yeah. uh, he, play, he played with Nor Jones early in her career, yep. and and, uh, and Tracy Chapman, a really beautiful player. Again, through True Fire, uh, we kind of hooked up and became friends. And he was coming through town with a woman named Amy Helm. Now, at the moment, I didn't recognize her name, but it turned out I'd seen her before. And as I'm driving down to the gig, oh, I better check out Amy Helm to, to see who my friend is playing with, because he hadn't told me about her her uh, history and her, her her life. And I heard this just incredible singing and just a soulful gospel influence but earthy soul swampy rock thing i was like this is going to be a great gig and then as i'm down there talking to adaway I, t- I took him to to dinner before the gig and like oh yeah when well, you know when she was playing with her dad you know levon i'm like oh shit levon it's Le- levon helm's daughter and That's i I'd, I'd seen her she had, there was a club that i used to play with the palm kings down in deep ellum called the blue cat blues where i, I used to play every wednesday night for for three or four years back in the 90s but Levon played there one night. It was after he had throat cancer and wasn't singing. But I'm I'm just a big fan of his drumming, so I was just so happy to go. But because he wasn't singing, his daughter was there and sang the whole night. I just remember being knocked out by her. So, oh, my God, this is incredible. So they do this opening set. They're opening for the Little Feet, 30-minute set. But she projected such a joyful beauty. I can't describe it. You know what I mean? And that's that's... Again, it's like if I have an energy, if I have something to project, I, I want that to be shared in the crowd because it, it just adds so much to the music. And it's not something that's a put-on pretense. It's, you could just tell that she had this, I don't know, just this authentic, you know, authentic, you know, authentic authenticity, authentic vibe about her. She just, it just, everything about it uh, was so cathartic and so soulful. Yeah. So anyway, it's, it's, no, it's, it's wonderful it. to witness an artist like that that's... Uh, not just eyes closed or sunglasses on or whatever it might be. You know, I want to see that expression. I want to feel that along with the music they're producing and really get to know them as, as a human being. And if, if they're really an artist in touch in that way, then you really do feel that. So she was a yeah. good example of that. Oh my gosh. Live music. You don't <laughs> realize how much you miss it until it goes yeah. away. It just, I, we, Amen. I went and saw living color last summer. Oh man. And I had yeah. not seen them, Andy, since they opened for the Stones and like the Steel Wheels. I mean, it's I been saw over that. years, right? I it's... saw that same gig, and I don't think I've seen them since. So I'm over. I'm overdue. Oh my! You have to go. Yeah. But yeah, I, I take my older my older son's way into music. I took my older son, cool. and uh, it was kind of actually funny because you know he's a kid that was born in 2001. So he was like, they came out, and he's like, they're all black, and I was like, well, I guess you wouldn't know that. Like he just had just heard the music, he'd never seen them. Exactly. Well, what but a beautiful way to experience it without any preconceptions about ethnicity. Yeah. Yeah, because they're so good still. They're just great, oh. and and I was like, I kind of got a little tearful because I was like, man, I've missed this. I've yeah. really missed this. Yep. So, um, uh, well, I, I hear that in a, we, in a large way. But Vernon is an incredible player and an incredible guy. I've I've I was on a couple of different Zoom calls where I just hearing him speak about music with some some peers. Really deep cat, and just seeing seeing his uh, his his uh, feed on Twitter. So I'm I'm a fan of his humanity as as much as his music, man. Just a really incredible guy. Absolutely. So I mm. uh, I could geek out with you about guitars, but my wife would roll her eyes and and <laughs> so let's let's have some different kind of fun if you're up for it. Uh, Whatever you like, man. I'm here. You're from the so I'm a Midwesterner. I'm a Nebraska boy. You're an Indiana boy originally. That's true. I am a Hoosier. Evansville so, in the house. Yeah. I, I'm curious. I thought this would be a little fun question for you. There are so many great musicians that are from Indiana that people might not know. So I okay. want to know Hoagie Carmichael. Yes. Cole Porter. Yep. Or Wes Montgomery. And here's the question. Oh, gosh. You can bring them back from the past. They're, <sighs> they're in your house. Wow. You have to only can pick one. 
And if, that's if, no fair, man. No, it's not supposed to be easy. If it was easy, <laughs> you can write an American songbook classic with the first two, right? Because those guys, yeah. they're all over the American Cole, songbook. Cole Porter is one of my favorite writers. Night, just just for night and day, right? Just kills me. He's so or, great. Or you, what can, a, you know, it's a, quite a story too. Oh, it's unbelievable. Or yeah. you can jam with Wes uh, Montgomery and write the next Four on Six or <laughs> West Coast Blues or. I mean, uh, I have to go with Wes just because it's freaking Wes, and he, you know, just was the next level of jazz, not just guitar, but of jazz after, you know, after Charlie Christian and Barney Kessel. You know, Wes is the next cat, you know. Of course, I love Joe Pass, and George Benson is a huge guy for me, too, you know, and, and arguably maybe one of the greatest players of all time. But Wes, you know, and he mm-hmm. just seems like the sweetest, humblest guy. You know, what little footage there is of him. Thank goodness for the, all that footage that came out of the 1965 tour he did, you know, in Belgium and Holland and, and the UK. And you see him communicating with other musicians, and it's it's incredible because you could tell he knew nothing about theory or, you know, the nuts and bolts of how things work. But he could, he could also communicate about it in just a, his own very, very personal way. But it's just, it was all by ear, man. He just got it so organically. It was such a natural at it. And that, of course, the technique that he... Yeah, you want to watch this thumb, right? You want to watch this thumb. That's, yeah. that's the, the, goose, the goosebump <laughs> moment in that whole thing. If you have the DVD, I forget the company, but Jazz Icons or something like that, it's probably on YouTube by now. But there's a moment where it's at... It's, 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 Ronnie Scott is the, is the compare of this particular television show. And he's with a UK rhythm section. It's not the greatest, it's not the goodest rhythm section as Harold Mayburn and those guys and the other, and even the Dutch group. But it's still cool because it's Wes. And at one point, the cameraman gets creative and goes over Wes's shoulder. Mm. And you see from Wes's perspective the thumb and how he's playing. And it's just, it's gold. It's absolute incredible to see, to witness it like that. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe this footage exists, you know? Yeah. Um, so got to go with Wes and I, you know, familiar with Hokey Carmichael and Buttermilk Sky and, but Cole's a bit deeper to me, I think just on an emotional level, you know, he's almost a Chopin of, of the American songbook in some way. Some of his melodic things strike me a little deeper than most. Absolutely. But Wes, because my gosh, just, uh, just to just to spend a minute with them, you know. Oh, absolutely. Well, I just yeah. think it, I just wanted to put that because I don't think a lot That's of people great... know that they're all from Indiana. Which and what about Axel and David Lee Roth? Well, and Bo- I could have done Bo- that. Boots Randolph, you know. John that Mellencamp. Was... We could have done Seymour, Indiana, in the house. Yeah. That's right. We could have right. done a lot. All right, one more of these fun ones. <laughs> then we'll move good, on. Good, good question though. Yeah. So your adopted home state. Yeah. You can bring back to life only oh, one. No fair. And you, I know. If it was go easy, ahead, go ahead. And you can interview them. Oh, yeah. and then jam with them. But you can only bring one. Uh, Freddie King, Oscar Moore from the Great oh, Oscar, or from Nat King Cole. Nat King Cole's group. Or yeah. Stevie Ray. You're going to do that to me. I knew that was going to be number three. <laughs> well, you just talked wow. about Oak Cliff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Man, that's just freaking impossible, brother. That's uh, all right. You can say can't do it but i just it, it's curious well dude, I, I, that yeah but I, I i would take the knee for all these because you know you want it all right man oh and i'm a huge fan of each guy well oscar moore doesn't get his due andy he doesn't you're right and he was such you know that trio you know begat oscar peterson with with herb ellis and, and ray brown which to me is the swingingest one of the swingingest records ever there's a live recording of that trio um 
in uh, in Toronto. It's called the Shakespearean Festival or something like that. Live at the Stratford Shakespearean Festival. Dig that record, man, because it's like one of the swingingest things I've ever heard. But the, again, they are totally influenced by Nat, who's also hugely underrated as a, as a, as a pianist. I mean, just... Yep. Have you seen that um, that documentary called Afraid of the Dark? No. It's about Nat and his television. He had a, tele- a mainstream television show, oh, yeah. Primetime. You know, I want to say the late 50s, early 60s, but it's an incredible story. It's, it's incredibly sad, um, considering the, the, the brevity of the show and why. But, but yeah, he's uh, highly, highly underrated, as is Oscar. You know, no doubt about it. Beautiful player. Um, yeah, from Austin, Texas. I don't think most people know that. That's no, cool. I, and I, I didn't know that, so I'm ashamed to say that. I've got, no, that's all right. But I love that I've got, I've got, I've got, I have things waiting for me. Absolutely. You know, well, I, I'm done. I'm done torturing you. <laughs> but I never picked one. No, you didn't. I'm gonna. You know, I think Stevie would want to hang with Freddie. You know, so maybe I got to go with Freddie. I've gotten to know Stevie through a lot of people that he grew up with in town here. So there, I have a level of familiarity with having never met him. Um, but Freddie you just said be... your, your friend Andy Alador on, and we talked about Steve Yes, well, that's so. how, that, yeah, I mean, uh, he's a, he's another one, man. Andy is a, such a good, good, amazing player and writer and singer. I'm, I'm really proud of him. That new record he's put out is, yeah. is tremendous. It's really great. So people check that out if you haven't heard of Andy yeah, Alador. I, 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 if you, if you bought a magazine in the last 40 years, 30 years, you, you, you know Andy Alador because he's one of the, uh, most incredible transcriptionists and writers and yeah. he's done so much in the guitar community. So he produces my column for uh, the Guitar World magazine, um, which I'm honored to have a column in a guitar magazine like that. And he uh, he gets on FaceTime with me and I got my video set up. There he is. There he is. So he, he got... I just got this in the mail from him yesterday. He's oh, nice. A, he's such a nice guy and he's, he's also a good... funny as hell. He's no, dude, really we funny. laugh. I mean, that's we have a hard time getting any work done because we're sitting there telling <laughs> stories, laughing, you know, and just goofing off and he's... Yeah, we have a very similar sense of humor, fortunately or unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But no, he's uh, he's one of my favorite people out there, man. But so I think great. you're right. I think Stevie would pick Freddie King. Yeah, oh, no doubt, no doubt. I, I know he's, he's a huge fan of. You know, of course, he got to spend time with Albert. I don't know if he. I don't know about if he got to play or meet Albert. But I mean, um, Freddie. But again, being in town, I know Freddie was here in Dallas for a long time, so. Yeah. Um, maybe they did. We'll have to maybe find out about that. But okay. boy, there's some just wonderful footage of Freddie out there. It's just oh ball of energy, man. You just know. awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to talk to you about your Bossa Hits album. Oh man, you're the one guy I, that knows about it. <laughs> I love Brazilian music. Thank you. Well, likewise, I clearly. But um, it's there's so it's such a beautiful genre that yeah. jazz guys love. Because I think yeah. it's is it the changes, Andy? Why do jazz guys love? I mean, besides the fact that it's really pretty music. Well, the the whole thing started with that, and I, I you know I'm happy to talk about the history of that record because you know Roberto Minescal, who wrote Obarquino, he was part of the the little you know group of people that invented that style, along with Joe Gilberto, and obviously um, Carlos Lira, and uh, and of course Joe Beam. Mm-hmm. Um, but so once once um, Stan Getz paired up with with Astrid Gilberto and Joe Gilberto and recorded "Girl from Ipanema" and it became a it became a hit. You know, I think the jazz world realized that oh, you know, I need to do a bossa. This is being successful. So there was a there was a, there was a brief time there where every jazz record would have a would have at least a bossa on it. And yeah. that was my first experience with bossa. Was a great. It was called the Great Guitars of that trio that had Herb Ellis, Barney Kessel, and uh, Charlie Bird. The great uh, jazz nylon string guitar player. That's how I heard Obarquino for the first time, 
And my guitar teacher at the time, I was 16, Ron Pritchett in Evansville, he would have uh, been turning me on to Barney Kessel. And some of his later 60s, early 70s records had had bosses on there. But so basically it's, you know, the boss's style is, is incorporating um, some of the samba stuff that was happening in Brazil before, but they were getting all the American jazz records down there and, and the harmony, you know, they, they, they really into Chet Baker, his singing style. So that kind of a vibrato smooth way of singing that I love how Chet sang that became part of the style. And, 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 um, so Roberto Menescal is also a big Barney Kessel fan. He was learning all the stuff off the, the Julie London record that, uh, Barney plays on and produced called My Name is Julie. So that, t- that happens to be a very pivotal record because those records and Frank Sinatra records, all these young kids, you know, were into these different styles of music. So the, the bossa was really them taking the harmony from the American jazz, but then kind of melding it into their own straight eighth, not swung. It's a straight eighth. So for me as, as a young player, you know, solid, you know, foundation in the rock world from, from Beatles on through seventies rock, you know, um, to try to get a, a, a handle on jazz, the, the bossa was a logical conduit in that, you know, not having the dotted eight swing feel, it was it was more like rock and roll, straight eight. But the, but there's the harmony. You know, how do, mm-hmm. how do these guys know what to play? Um, but so I think that's why a lot of rock guitar players that might be an easier way for them to get into, into jazz because it really is it's it's, it's the same type of harmony. You know, you've got extensions on most courses, not usually just triads. It's always going to be sixes and sevens and nines and thirteens, et cetera. So um, it gets more adult, as somebody likes to say, adult chords. Um, but uh, so again, I I was doing a a, a clinic tour in Brazil. I, there's a pedal that I endorsed by a company called G and I, and it's an Octavia type sound. And, and so they had brought me down several times for clinic tours. And I'm obviously very fond to go to that part of the world. And on this particular tour, I w- I'd gotten back into studying and playing jazz. And so I told my friend Sidney Carvalho that was with me. He's a great kind of fusion guitar player, but is the rep from the company. Hey, since I'm in you know Brazil, man, I'd love to play some bosses. Maybe we could find somebody in each town you know, as we travel and, and back me up. He says, oh man, I, I play bossa. My wife sings bossa. My daughter sings bossa. I'll bring my nylon string guitar. And so we did. And so we just started every gig, you know, I'm playing all my rock, you know, shred and heavy tone kind of stuff. And in the middle, we'd sit down, he'd grab his acoustic and I'd clean up my tone. And we just, you know, I knew several standards like, you know, Ipanema and, and Wave and maybe uh, Triste, a handful of the, uh, yes, Corcovado, thank you, quite nice. Um, but he he was a much deeper well because he he'd been playing this style and so it's I mean it's such in the DNA of the of the, of the Brazilian people it's it's their music you know so to see this American rock guitar player come there they were very heartened and honored that I was that I loved the music and I was playing it you know with with my friend and so some of these videos got out and um, the guy who wrote Summer Samba da, 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 saw us playing that tune. He said, man, I love you. Thanks for doing my song. And I was like, man. And then Roberto Menescal heard us play and invited us to his studio. Now, again, knowing at this point, this is the guy that wrote Obarquino and was there when this, the style was created. He was, showing, he was showing Joe Beam these guitar voicings. And that's a heavy thing. 
So he's inviting us to his, his studio, which is on an island off the coast of Rio de Janeiro. We had to take a little boat every day over Quino. Well, that, that had to it, suck. It means little boat. You see, and the beauty is, is that um, if you, I'll send you the DVD. There's, you know, Please the package. Send. The package that we uh, we had is has the has the audio, but then they recorded video, uh, everything that we did. So you see the takes that's they're on the record. You see them as we play them live. And so this guy to invite us to his studio, not didn't charge us anything. Please come to my studio. I'll produce. You know, let's put this out. And in my mind, you know, I have to also say that Pat Metheny was also a, a conduit for me in that he he was, once he got to like off-ramp and travels, there was a lot of Brazilian influence on his music. And he was also a huge influence on me just in general, his writing style and his playing. But um, so I think that, that, that again, so in, in my head, when I'm playing Bossa, I'm, I've got Matheny's tone in my head. I'm, I'm trying to clean it up, and make it dark, you know. Mm -hmm. But but Miniscal and City went, no, 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 no. You play, you play with the bluesy. You, you know, I was like, they they wanted to hear that gain. They want But um, so it was, you know, not exactly how I was hearing it. But then again, I realized, oh shoot, okay, that that's more me. It makes sense. So that's what a, that's what a good producer will do. So we just went and we, you know, we did it over the course of a, of a few days there. And uh, what an honor again to be playing that music with with Miniscal there and being so approving and so. And you see, I'll send you the DVD at the very end because they're in, interviewing each of us individually after the project, just getting our thoughts and. And, and and Roberto Menescal said to me at one point, you know, I wish I wish we could call Joe Beam because he he would really like this. Yeah. And I'm That's... telling the story, and I just I just I tear up because it's like what a heavy thing to you know, be because it's mostly Joe Beam tunes. You know, we only did you know like I say we did Summer Samba, which is uh, Marcos Valle, and then one of uh you know we did we did Orbaquino with uh with um uh, Menescal's band. You know, so so we did it's mainly the duet with Sydney and I. Him on Nylon Me Electric, but we did like two or three songs with Miniscal's band, the rhythm section. Uh, just inc <laughs> incredible feel. I want to do a whole record like that. They, that was great. I, I loved it. Deal. Well, thank I you. I really, man. I really loved it. it. Thank you so much. Well, you know, there's a band here. When you come here next time, they're yeah. called Sons of Brazil. Ooh, nice. Uh, okay. And they're all phenomenal players, and oh, okay. they're all like way, you know, they're jazz professors and stuff. And they, okay. they've, they've yeah. been to Brazil a countless times. There's so oh, much. Man. And I yeah. just sit there with my mouth open the entire time because they're all stupid. <laughs> I'd love guys. to go, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's great. Cool. Well, my, pu my, my publicist, too, the guy I'm working with that you've been in touch with, Steve Karras, is also in the Kansas City area. So Yes. We have re we have reasons to get together, man. Oh, know. I would love it. I would be that'd thrilled. Be, that'd be uh, awesome. So I, uh, I obviously I know you from a lot of different hats, but I, yeah. I know you're, you're, you teach a lot. And I'm curious. I kind of talked to uh, Andy Allador about this a little bit, too. But from your experience, what makes a good teacher? Wow. Um, what my my goal is, and I'm not doing a, I'm not doing much one on one. So now now all my teaching efforts are directed to my guitarexperience.net site, which is me going through my catalog and playing all of my tunes, and then explaining them kind of note for note, you know, and, and doing that kind of really specific teaching. But when I have and when I do one on one um, lessons, I think it's so important to just first assess, you know, where a player is, you know, where I like to play and just kind of get a feel for 
you know, where they are in, in their playing journey. And there's always plenty to be positive and supportive about, no matter, you know, if they're novice or, or advanced, you know. And so I love starting with just playing and just being able to be really positive about, okay, here's what I'm really digging, what's going on. But then also be honest enough to go, but here's some areas I think, you know, that we both need to work on, you know, because it's all the same. It's just, it's all foundational stuff, you know what I mean? And um, so I think just being being able to be, you know, positive and constructive at the same time without being discouraging or overwhelming. I think I've had some people come in where they're just so overwhelmed with the amount of material, you know, the world is available 24 seven in your back pocket, you know, and every, every possible kind of tutorial and lesson and transcription and endless streams of players that are just ridiculous and light years beyond what you'll ever be able to do, you know, Mm -hmm. just being honest. So it's important to, you know, and it's something that I've had to teach myself over the years. It's just important to go, well, look, you don't have to be that, but you do have to, you have to work hard and you will, if you love it, it's not going to seem like so much work. And if I can find paths to inspire in those ways, even if I'm not, you know, doing week to week lessons, like here's sweet child of mine, I'll see you next week. That's okay. And there's plenty of people that do that. And I admire those kind of teachers. In fact, my son plays guitar now for the last two years. He's 18. He started at 16 and I, I, and I work with him, but I got him a very good teacher also. Somebody that I that is really great at that week to week thing is a really amazing player named Scott Stein that teaches at the Guitar Sanctuary here in McKinney. So he's got his week to week lessons with Scott, who again great player but great teacher. You know, I'm more of a let's get together for an hour and I'm going to give you enough stuff to, for your life. <laughs> I'm going right. to just give you things that I know that will help you and will hopefully continue to inspire you. That that was one of the takeaways of of the two years I spent at the University of Miami. There was so much material that came my way um, that I knew I, you know, I won't get through this in, in my lifetime. But it was combined with the great teachers, but also this being surrounded by like-minded and really great players, right? Just uh, a level of playing that I hadn't been around in my my bubble of Evansville, Indiana. You know, I was one of the small, you know, bigger fish in a smaller pond. Not to say there weren't great players because there were, but these were folks that were clearly you know, a bit more studied and, and we're, we're, you know, going places as they say. So I was very fortunate to be there when I was, but I, but I knew that, okay, this is, I know what I need to do. I just got to do it. And that's, you know, I remember giving a lesson to the guy that owns the guitar sanctuary is one of my best friends, George Fuller. You know, we got together, he came to me for a lesson in 1988 and we became really fast friends and I would give him occasional lessons and, uh, you know, he's like, come on, man, what's the secret? What's the secret? And I would just say, well, you're off to a good start. You just got to play. Yeah. You know, and it's hard work, man. Well, yeah. And so yeah. He, 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 he was the type of guy that wasn't a great practicer. And I'm honestly not, I'm not either, but, but I just knew that, well, just get a gig. So he ended up starting to play with, uh, this wonderful singer named Maylee Thomas. They eventually married and they're still together. He's the mayor of McKinney now. And he's a damn good guitar player because he played. He just, you know, and he, he, was, he, was, he was an okay player when I, when I got with him, you know. He, he just hadn't done it, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, the foundation's there, but what's lacking is a ton of gigs. So 30 years later, he's done a ton of gigs, and he's sounding freaking great, man. That's great. Did anyway, hear- so, yeah, it's, it's, it's time put in. 
Well, I, I think it's interesting when you're talking about your son, because I, I don't know if you saw the the, the interview uh, or the quote, at least from Wolfgang Van Halen, because mm-hmm. everybody assumed that he learned from his father. And he's like, no, right. my dad was a terrible teacher because he'd be like, just do it. Like, yeah, I mean, well, that's his own skill set. That's that's a bit I, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle because. I knew once Alex, my son, got to a certain age, and I mean not a certain age, but a certain level, then I could help more. But with the beginner stuff, and I'm a little impatient, so that's why I got him plugged into a really good teacher. And now that he's, man, it's just, he's, he's really good. He's, uh, he's really into Metallica and Megadeth and some heavier stuff. Out of my wheelhouse, but man, when it comes to that Hetfield right hand, you know, yep. he's, his time is great, and... Uh, and his, his, te- his right hand technique is incredible. So, and the more he's getting into to soloistic stuff, that oh, here we go. Let's talk about vibrato. Let's talk about bending. Let's you know. But I, I but I also know that most of it's just going to happen with him doing. And I hear him practicing every night. Man, he's got a he's got a killer tone. He's got a nice rig in his bedroom, you know. And so I'm I'm uber proud just to see that you know I I see the light bulb on like it was when I was young too, and but still is. But man, there's nothing like when you're just on fire and you're young and playing yeah. along with those records for him it's metallica for me it was kiss kiss alive and destroyer and uh, love gun and rock and roll over and alive too was my that's how i learned how to play guitar until i was 16 and finally got a teacher but there's nothing because you're in the band you know he's he's james hetfield's backup <laughs> he's, yeah. and he's playing some kirk stuff too he's getting it man he's got he got a white zombie ltd for christmas so he's got he's got a floyd now so look out I had I had to teach him how to restring that. That was going back in time uh, a little bit. That's not a fun, not a fond memory. No, I fond hate, memory of me teaching him, but I hated those things. I, I have, and, and uh, <laughs> I, I hate to tell you this because you're an Ibanez guy, but I think since you don't have the Floyd Rose on your guitars, no, I have so. a beautiful 1989 Ibanez 540s. Oh wow, okay. But I never play it, Andy, because I don't want to change the freaking strings on it. I don't want to mess with it. You know what I did? With it was there was some prototypes. So this is the prototype from 1994, which became my my. It's, you know, I've been playing it ever since. My main guitar and a signature guitar. It's basically a modified Strat. But before this, we had a couple of RG style bodies that have Floyd's on them, and it was right when we were making the third Danger Danger record. And I just, I'm just tired of fighting this thing. So I had them take them out and put a block of wood in there and just put a like a stop tailpiece, you know. Oh yeah, I mean, and they—they're uber cool. It's—it's it's a sound and it's a vibe to be able to have that kind of whammy action. But I just—I'm such a—I'm—I'm a, I'm a very aggressive player. I dig in, and there's too much instability. I know there's things that can kind of combat that, but I much prefer just a very slightly floating, you know, traditional Fender style. This is a Wilkinson Goto, that's on my uh, signature guitars. But even just just a regular Strat style, it's—it's. It's, yeah, that's, that's my home. That's my home. I should probably sure. just sell it at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're not playing it, there's, 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 there's a, there's a, there's a, yeah. You, yeah. I need to hear. I need to hear you say. Yeah, I've got, I've got too many guitars, and I need to start cleaning house a little bit. Yeah, well, I'll just buy another one. That's what really usually. That, happens yeah, that's that's what's right? been happening for me, unfortunately. Uh, uh, I was I was just fortunate to have one guitar growing up, so I I know that I'm uh, I'm extremely fortunate at this point, but. Uh, yeah, there's there's a much smaller circle of guitars that I'm playing constantly, so I need to. I'm sentimental, and I'm a bit of a pack rat, so that's bad. That's a bad combination. So you are a Nam. You've been to Nam how many times? Uh, almost all of them since 1986. I still the first two Nams I went to, I was an endorsing for Larravee guitars. They very Jean Larravee is an amazing Canadian um, acoustic guitar maker. Also made electric guitars for a very brief time. 
So I was in a band with Steve Bailey, a great uh, electric fretless player, and uh, he was the Larravee and Dorsey. So that was my first introduction to NAM. And then I became a Kramer and Dorsey in 88 when I joined Danger Danger. And then when they went out of business, I became an Ibanez and Dorsey in 91. So long story short, I've, I've rarely missed one, and, and of course, until 2021. Um, and But yeah, I... It, some people are very organized on, okay, I've got this, this list of people I need to see and it's all business, business. You know, I might've had a couple agendas along the way, but rarely. And it was usually just, I can't believe I'm here in this room with all these amazing people and just being, being fanboy. But then obviously there, there are a lot of opportunities did come from the, those NAMM shows where meeting people with a certain company or playing, you know, in some of the more um, high profile shows eventually when I was an Ivan as endorser. So, very fond memories, and yeah, I, you know, career would be very different had I not attended those shows, no doubt about it. Well, I'm asking because I've never been, but I got oh. invited for the podcast as a oh, media nice. person. Oh, great. So, so what, what's your advice for me? Should I well, be for the you, guy that's regimented and try to do it, or should I just like... I, think you, should, I think you should balance it. Maybe have a day where let things happen. Just, okay. just, just be you, walk around. You're going to run into people. You know, now for me, having done it for, you know, again, most of my life since the mid-80s, you know... We're obviously we, we've lost people along the way, but I tend to I tend to know a lot of people, or they know me, and you know it's 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 a wonderful event in that way. So it's it'll be good that you can maybe run into some people that you've interviewed and and, and be there in person with them. But then yeah, you might want to in advance. I highly recommend there's an app that that, that the NAM Association puts out puts out now that has a schedule of events. Okay. So you can you can you can look in there and find out oh so and so is doing a signing at one o'clock on Saturday. I really want to meet that person, you know. I would do that in advance and bring records to get signed by some heroes, you know. I met uh, I met Don Everly oh, one year cool. and had had him sign a, an album cover. And gosh, who else did I bug? I can be a bit of a stalker. I'm a fanboy, but yeah, I ran, I ran into freaking Peter Asher walking down the aisle with Leland Sklar one day, and of course wow. everybody recognizes Leland because of the beard and he's the, yep. but. Peter Asher, freaking, you know, yeah. I'm a big Peter and Gordon fan. I did some, I did some shows with Gordon Waller, believe it or not. Another fond memory, but I uh, got to got to hang with Peter for a minute, and just the history, my God, you know. Paul McCartney Absolutely. lived in his basement for a while. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> you know, and wrote, Jane, and wrote, yeah, wrote all those Peter and Gordon. Because Jane right? Asher was his sister, correct? No, yeah, Jane Asher's Peter Asher's sister, and, yeah. and Paul Paul was dating Jane, and wrote yeah. yesterday in that home, you know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so. You know, things like that will happen, and you couldn't imagine that it'll just be this accidental thing. But then there also might be, like, again, might be people in companies that you've interviewed or maybe you want to try to, to schedule something with. So, yeah, use your entrepreneur business hat, but also, you know, go with an open mind because yeah. things will happen. You'll just meet some people and make friends. And, I'm really looking and forward to it. Really, I've been waiting yeah, to do this forever. I yeah, sure. Which what, what is so? When is and what? what where? <laughs> it's it's in L.A. again. Well, Anaheim. Uh, June, but it's going to be in summer, right? Yeah. June third through fifth. Wow. Okay. So it's coming up. I don't know if I'm going. You know, this might be this might be one that I missed just because there's so much going on. And uh, you knew I was coming. Finally. You know, so like, I'm not that I'm avoiding. I'm <laughs> be there. Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> He's on aisle seven. Well, I'll be on aisle nine. That's uh, funny. I would never. I would never. I know you. You're a very call nice me, man. Call me. Um. <laughs> So I could talk to you all day, but I want to be really cognizant of your time. But I, so this is my fun new question for 2022 okay, yes, that I try to give every musician. Yes. So I'm a big vinyl guy now. My dad was oh. a jazz musician and I have all his jazz albums, oh, nice. which is just a phenomenal. And That's I, nev great. I never got rid of mine, which is amazing, right? With yeah. CDs, yeah. A lot of guys Same dumped here. them. Yep. 
but I want to know what's a vinyl album that I should have in my collection, Andy, that I probably don't, but I mm. really should. Well, let's just see now. Um... Tusk by Fleetwood Mac. Okay. It is one of the greatest sounding records. My God. I've got a wonderful friend named Dennis Poggenberg, who I met through my staging gigs, and he's an audiophile record collector. And so he's also a very generous man, and as we became friends, he's saying, well, you know, do you have a, do you have a record player set up? Well, my turntable this is like, so he sends me a receiver. I had a, I had a turntable, and, uh, and he, sends me, and he <laughs> sent me some speakers. And then he proceeds to start sending me some audiophile, you know, pressings of some just, you know, our tastes are freaking nearly identical. So everything from, you know, uh, Vladimir Horowitz and, and Chopin recordings, but, you know, all my favorite Elvis Costello records. And we got to talking about Lindsey Buckingham. Lindsey Buckingham putting it, put out an amazing record maybe about a year ago, yeah. two years ago. Yeah, bit it's blurry. really good. His 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 arranging and recording techniques are just top notch. But so when you you know rumors has been played so much, so I would suggest going to the next record, Tusk, which I'd kind of it fell it fell through the cracks for me aside from a couple of the singles because there was you know if you remember if you're of an age um, there was so much controversy around it because it took them a long time to put the next record out. You can imagine yeah. the pressure after rumors becoming the greatest selling record and the cocaine and yeah. There might have been some issues. Uh, watch your watch your nearest documentary on. There. Is there still drama in the band? I haven't heard. Yeah, no, um, I think they get along. I think everything's fine. So, but oh my god, I mean, it's just. It's just, it's inescapable how great the recording is. It's, and it's all, to me, it's all about the, the, the drums and bass. Just, God, the recording is so great. It sounds particularly great on the vinyl. Well, I'm going to have to go buy it. You, you've I was going to say, I, I, yeah, and again, on a, on, I, just, I was just blown away sonically. It just makes you really marvel at the, the playing and the, and, the, and the techniques of the recording. It's so, so masterful. This has been so much fun for me. I could talk to you oh, forever. Well, but th- I, yeah, I, man, it's nice when yeah, you, we find somebody you, you resonate with on that level. So we'll do, it, we'll do it again, man. We'll, we'll trade four. We'll trade, now we'll trade twos. Now we'll we trade. can do two little twos, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just thought that was kind of good because it's a back and forth. So I was like, what am I going to name this podcast? And I was like, well, there's this perfect term for it. Thanks for, thanks for chatting with me. And for the good questions, too, man. Having a pick from the, the Hoosier guys was tough. And then yeah, the I mean, Texas I wasn't it, fair, man. I mean, I could have made it easy, but that's not fun. That's just that's no not fun, fun at all. Like, put, put me on the spot. So when I'll you come it. to Kansas City, I, I'd be happy to take you out and oh, man. buy you a meal, and you, we can go see Sons of Brazil, whatever you want. I would love to do that. Absolutely. So I, I will definitely. I'll be back in your neck of the woods. Careful what you wish for. It's been so much fun. Thank you, man. Let's do it again. All right. Take care. Thanks, brother. Andy Timmons, everyone. You know, it's hard to describe Andy. He's so versatile as a player. But I think the way I would tell people if I'm going to, if you're going to make me put me on the spot, the one where I would say it's tasty. He just plays tasty stuff. It's just tasty. This is beautiful. This is the Grace tune that he was talking about. Um, he can do it all. He can shred. He can be bluesy. He can, what well, we know now, he does Brazilian music and the bossa and, and those great stories too. So, 
uh, that was that was so much fun. I, I, as a guitar guy, I mean, I love talking to all musicians, but guitar guys, especially guys that I have followed and really admired, they're playing uh, for decades. It's, it's so cool to get to talk to them. And it, it, could he have been a nicer guy? He could not have been a nicer guy. So uh, you've got homework down in the show notes. His new album, Electric Truth. Please check that out. Buy it. It's what helps musicians stay alive and afloat. Uh, go out and see him when he's playing live. If you're down in Dallas on April 15th area, go down and see him. Nothing like live music. You can't replace it. And I was honest to God, he comes to town and I'm taking him out to dinner. So that's going to do it for this episode of Trading Fours. But one week from today, I am back. Something completely different. Remember Monty Python? Now for something completely different. We have something completely different. I have Graham James who was born and raised in New Zealand, but now lives in Amsterdam. Started out as a busker. Plays all the instruments on his albums. He uh, has a new album out. We're going to talk all about that. That's one week from today. Until then, go out, support live music, and we'll talk real soon. Bye-bye.